More TV superheroes, just what the world needs. Ugh. Warning. DC on R&D, the Doom Patrol edition, contains adult language and discussions, as well as the occasional sexually explicit joke, and from time to time, some crude and off-color remarks. If you're easily offended, don't continue to listen. And then go fuck yourself. All right, hello, welcome back to DC on RMD, the Doom Patrol edition. I was uh, reciting some incantations. It wasn't a mess up. I was practicing some chaos magic, David, so don't laugh. Don't forget, Hard Day's Night. Jibber Jabber is much more easier to remember than a Beatles song. Yep. All right. All right, so today we're talking about episode four of season one titled Cult Patrol. This episode takes us on a slight detour from our immediate problems to address a new situation of epic, epic, David, proportions. And with that detour comes a new face in the shape of Mark Shepard. And Dave, I've never thought in my life that I needed to see Mark Shepard wield a sword of flame before this episode. But damn, I need some more Mark Shepard wielding a sword of flame. Magic and technology. It's a wonderful thing. Fuck, dude. I mean, that scene this week with Cyborg fighting with science. Oh, and yeah. Mark Shepard, you know, um, Kipling fighting with magic. I was like, fuck, dude. I was so happy we finally get to see Cyborg's cannon that when he when, when the cannon activated i'm like going, that's what it it looks like in the comic dude when we get an episode like this right cyborg fighting side by side a magic wielder right it makes you wonder if you even need the fucked up dceu do we even need those movies do we need them when we have shit like this happening on the small screen i have to be honest no I'm 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 fully on board. That basically, I'm having so much fun with Doom Patrol. I've had really great, nothing but great things to say about Titans. Honestly, Dave, you know I sit here all the day, all the time in my little troll cave. I call a studio, which it is a studio, but sometimes it doubles as a troll cave, and uh, I just bitch and moan internally. It's an internal monologue of sorts about the DC movie side of things. I'm like, fuck you guys. How the fuck can you not get this right? Why are we backtracking? Why are we not sticking to plans? Let's move forward. But then DC universe app comes along and gives us Titans and doom patrol. And suddenly it satiates every need, any desire that I have for a big budget DC EU film. It vanishes because they're giving us the things we want in this and not because it's fan service it's because they're using the goddamn template called a comic book that's already written yeah and think about it not only do we have these two shows but we have swamp thing on the way that's what i'm so calm down because if you if you throw in swamp thing dave i don't think i can you know sustain (laughs) myself i think i'm gonna end up i don't think i can contain myself i should say i'm gonna like just burst a load all over the place i'm serious dude if they follow the same template with Swamp Thing and say they they go ahead and follow Ellen Moore's rendition of Swamp Thing oh, with the green. Simmer down. Oh. Yeah, Dave. Fuck. I mean, this is where it's at. If you're a DC fan, this is where it's at. How are you not a subscriber to DC Universe yet? Because they are delivering all the things that DC is and should be 
This is where it's at, Dave. And they're picking the right talents as well because, of course, Jeremy Carver's fantastic as yes. we go on time and time again since we started this 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 discussion. So they're putting in the right talent as well. They're not just saying, hey, guys, we're going to you know give you some glitz and glam and some bright, bright colors and loud explosions to distract you and make you think we're doing something cool. But no, they're giving you all of that plus a very focused, relevant stories as well about real people. Even Titans did that as well. Yeah. Titans was the one that actually really surprised me. And then I I decided after the success of Titans, I'm going to give Doom Patrol a shot. Dude, I am so happy with Doom Patrol from pilot to this episode. Yeah. And there was this article this week that I I wanted to burn down the the website. I wanted to (laughs) hire some Russian hackers to just take it down because the headline was just so hyperbolic and it was just fuck. It was fucking stupid. And, and I understand people have different tastes, right? I, that's, that's, that's a given. And I'm okay with people having different tastes, but when a website, when a, a famous, a big time blog has a headline that says doom patrol is as bad as Titans was good. And it's sad. And I read their reasoning And none of it has to do with academic merits. It has nothing to do with the writing, what they're doing with these characters, how relevant it is, how grounded, what they're saying. It has to do with the fact that it's weird and strange and uh, it's just ludicrous. And I'm like, dude, listen, you, you don't know how to review something. A critic never reviews things based on what you want. You review things based on what we're given and how it's being developed. And not only that, especially with comics, you have to look at the history of that. Yeah. If you're saying that it's too weird, have you not read the Doom Patrol comics? They're really yeah. out there. And there is some things in the Doom Patrol comic by Grant Morrison that they have kept out <laughs> of this of this uh, of the series so far. Yeah. That I'm like going yeah, if they were to throw that in there, that would be a complete mindfuckery. Yeah, but but <laughs> would it, though? Because look at what they've done so far, Dave. It's only a matter of time. Like, yes, if they threw all of these oddities at us at once, it'd probably be way too much for general audiences. But you got to remember that Doom Patrol is designed for... I don't want to say it's not designed for mainstream audiences because it is, but as we have discussed time and time again about these niche services... This isn't like being on Netflix. For example, if Doom Patrol were to premiere exclusively on Netflix, I could see a lot of people having problems with it. The mainstream, because your mom's going to watch it. Your dad's going to watch it. Your cousins are going to watch it because everybody has Netflix. For the most part, your mom, dad, cousins, regular Joes are not going to subscribe to DC Universe. So this app, this streaming service has a very specific niche audience. And for the most part, the people that are going to subscribe and watch appreciate these types of things so when forbes does a review of doom patrol from week to week you got to scratch your head and wonder well dude the reason why you can't comprehend it is because your mind is wrapped up in in money you should be doing blogs on money and finance not dc comics obviously you don't have a skill to review movies and television so go count money tell us about fucking <laughs> wall street <laughs> So getting back on track, I, I think I'm developing, you know, anger issues. I, I, I might end up You're becoming turning into Mr. Nobody either. I don't know. Crazy Jane, robot man, Mr. Nobody. Take your pick. <laughs> so we have an introduction of another new hero. Uh, 
Willoughby Kipling, who's essentially a John Constantine type character. Yes. And there's a reason for that, which we're going to get into a bit later. And with the epic introduction of Kipling comes an interesting cult style villainy that once again takes us into another dimension, another realm of sorts, which I had figured we'd end up seeing another one since a lot of this story is weaved around the concept of different interdimensional planes of existence. Plus with the, how the episode started cyborg literally mentioned 37 dimensions conveniently, and then he was abruptly cut off. So I had figured this aspect would probably come into play in this episode or sometime later. Because as we know, Dave, when it comes to TV, if you're a good writer, good showrunner, you don't just throw things in for no reason. So when he said 37 dimensions, I was like, oh, there's got to be a reason for that. Yes. And that was such a smart way to drop that on us. Because essentially that's what this show is about. And I think not, I don't want to say, I don't want to say that's what it's about, but that is the setting or the backdrop for many of our stories. It would seem so far, how many dimensions have we entered already so far? Two, three, I think three, three. Yeah. Three. Because if we take into account the uh, chamber, chamber, the chamber last week, right? Chamber. And then of course, Mr. Nobody's domain where he, um, the donkey gateway. Yeah. The donkey gateway. (laughs) And then, of course, this week with uh, Nurheim, 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 Nurheim. Yeah. So it's cool. And I like it because it also justifies why possibly other superheroes don't show up, because that's the problem with a connected universe is you kind of wonder like, well, this is pretty fucking big. Why why isn't Superman showing up or the Justice League or, or, you know, anyone from the Justice League? But when you have problems that are taking place in different dimensions, different planes of existence, suddenly it becomes a more focused show on the people who are del- who are equipped for delving into those types of situations. I'll be honest, dude. When he started mentioning, oh, there's a possibility of 37 dimensions, mm-hmm. I, I literally was like thinking, is he saying like the multiverse? Is he talking about the multiverse? I don't think which so, is right? famous for DC. Well, now that's different, though. Dimensions, you might know better than me. But the 52 multi-worlds, right? Yes, there's 52. Okay, the multiverses are different than dimensions, I'm assuming. That's what I wanted. I was hoping they would actually define. I think they're going to have to eventually. They have to. Especially because the whole multiverse is a very big part of DC mythology. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So they'll probably have to explain or get into the details of it eventually but at this time i it does it's still shrouded in mystery yeah, yeah exactly because if they were to pull the veil back too soon of what they're talking about it would you know take away some surprises obviously yeah so let's just stick with this aspect for you know because essentially most of the episode or at least most of the episode was about this new threat they introduced uh the writing team marcus delzine and chris dingus that's his last name, Dingus, really? Dingus. I uh, did not lose sight of our non our non would-be heroes. Uh, they simply used the newly introduced elements to further develop the Doom Patrol team. I guess this episode could be looked at as a bit of a introspective because the previous episodes were about explaining things to us, right? The audience, like h- helping us become immersed in this world and understand where our characters are coming from. This episode was designed for our heroes to have that aha moment. 
they started seeing what we see as an audience. And by writing this episode this way, we learn more about them as they learn more about themselves, especially with the way. I mean, just that great scene this week between Jane and Robot Man, you know, when they were talking to the uh, Nernheim queen. Yeah. And how she, you know, explained things to them about perception versus how you know, how we view ourselves and, and get, basically schooled them on a lesson of perception, which we're going to talk about that later, because that was just a fantastic way to flesh out our heroes that much more. The amazing thing about that, though, is the fact that we last episode, we called it. I mean, we we were like going, there's something about Robot Man. And then yeah. when she gets to the, about the perspective and you see that she points out, you're just a brain. That's <laughs> it. And I'm like, going, holy crap. So. They're really coming out and actually trying to define what is wrong with Robot Man. What's wrong with with this character? What what, what broke him? Yeah. Yeah. It was very well done. And the director of this episode as well had quite a feat. You know, there was a lot of things that he needed to do. He had to juggle so many intimate nuanced moments along with fleshing out the world of Doom Patrol further all while introducing us to new worlds or dimensions. This isn't an easy episode to like imagine again, imagine Dave, you and I both have filmmaking backgrounds and imagine having to break down the script as a director, like shit, 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 Shit. (laughs) like there's just so much. And, and if you don't pay careful attention to your script breakdowns and I mean, some of that can get lost. So they definitely picked the right director for the job as well this week. He did a fantastic job and it was Stefan Polinski. Uh, and I'm hoping he comes back because he did a great job juggling all the, <laughs> the multiple layers of this script. Yeah, absolutely. Because like by juggling all those layers, he was able to take those layers and actually mesh them all together yeah. to actually to some cohesion, you know, because like he was able to take that, the weirdness of actually, Nernheim and all that magic but still stick to the guns of we're we're watching the Doom Patrol becoming heroes yes and that has to be the focus because that's that's the template that they started with and you don't want to change the template of your show you know four or five episodes in so introduce new ideas and and you know and concepts but never slow down the way you develop your characters and and that's exactly what we saw this week and and if you had a subpar director in that in that seat this week Imagine how clunky this episode could have oh, been. Oh, yeah, because it could have been really bad because, like, they could have gone with the trope that the Doom Patrol are basically not wanting to become heroes. Yeah. It's not about the, that they can't be heroes. It's just the fact that they have – they're broken people that feel that they're too broken to become heroes. Yeah. And it's like – when I thought about it, it's like asking a handicapped person to do an amazing feat. Oh, to David. Them, David. But it is. Handy-capable. Handy-capable. They're handy-capable, and they also have their own special Olympics, Dave, so they are <laughs> able to do things. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm just giving you shit, David. But Go yeah, ahead. But, but, but it, you, that's what they're, they're basically saying is like you're telling someone to do an impossible feat to them – that be, or to us, it's a normal feat, but to them, it's kind of like, no, this is like climbing Mount Everest. Are you yeah. fucking crazy? No, I totally get it. And you're right, because he, these individuals are essentially handicapped. Yeah, especially with like Rita. And that's part of their hurdle. That's part of the dilemma of these characters is that they must overcome their handicaps or at least learn to live with them. So you're right. 
I was giving you shit, but you are 100% right. <laughs> but the, especially with that scene with uh, Elastigirl, when she finally makes that choice to defend something. And I'm like going, okay, this is actually a really cool moment for that character because she's actually making a stand. Yeah, I agree. The Elastigirl, you know, scene, Rita, Far, she, we witnessed her gaining a bit more confidence in herself this week when it came to someone who was unable to defend themselves. Yes. I like that. It showed a good side of her because let's be honest, she's kind of a she's kind of a shit person. She like maybe not so much now, but definitely in the past. I mean, that's a lot of the reasons. I'm sure that's a big reason why she was cursed. I mean, it was interesting to see that the more confidence she gains in herself, the more she can control the nasty blobbiness yeah as we continue along things become a bit more clear for us as well in the way of understanding why our heroes are where they are for example rita far is obviously very selfish and self-absorbed that's still very much a part of her to this very day in this story she's an ugly person and that curse essentially turned what she was in the inside and made it apparent for the entire world to see to see yes i mean it's fantastic and now her own journey is to essentially deal with the fact that she is an ugly person and try to change it's a learning experience that's the the wonderful thing about grant morrison's characters he created and what jeremy carver and the writers are doing with morrison's characters yes is they're able to take again real issues like being ugly in the inside and making it apparent so the whole world can see in such a metaphorical way that we can understand what type of demons she's battling with. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying she's a bad person as in she's a, a shitbird of a person. She's selfish. No, no. She's a bit ugly inside. That's the whole point of the curse. That's the whole point of the curse. And it's also kind of like it's the fact that up to this point, from what I've what I've seen throughout the entire series, Rita lacks some kind of outside motivation. She's always been, as you said, very selfish. Because she's motivated by what she wants, she her wants. needs, which exactly. is why she was trying to run again, again this week. Yeah. And then now that basically she finds this one thing to motivate her. And it it like literally that one moment when she basically just flings out her arm and suddenly she has like control over it. Yeah. It it, it shows the potential that she could possibly become this great hero that has an amazing power. Yeah. And then it puts it into it puts it into like a character depth look where basically you look at inside of her and say the one thing that she's been lacking is motivation outside motivation besides the selfishness that she she garnered maybe as an actress because and it's funny because like I thought about it was the one thing an actor or actress always harps about they need motivation into their character they need motivation they need to know understand that character and rita just doesn't understand herself she she lacks that motivation she reminds me of a girl i dated in my 20s where she was super hot you know big boobs just hot body but i'm like hey you better develop a personality by the time you're 40 you know because uh you know your beauty isn't gonna last (laughs) your beauty is not gonna last forever (laughs) yeah like i said dave this is This episode was designed as a bit of an introspective. We, at this point, four episodes in, because of the the well-written episodes we're getting, we as an audience, we understand 
the problems for the most part that these characters are dealing with. But now it's time for them to recognize it. And that's why this introspective aspect of this week's episode really worked because you saw that you saw her realize when she was able to use her power and control it. She realized something you could see it in her face. There was like a light switch went on. And now it seems like part of her battle will be about picking a selfless path to do something that benefits others and not just herself. And in this episode, she took a few steps in the right direction by choosing to help the boy, which gave her focus and resolve. And she was able to control her power because of it. That's going to be that. That was that's why I said in this episode, at the top of the show, I said for a lot of our characters, there's those aha moments like, oh, I'm understanding this now. I get it. And we saw the same thing with trainer this week. Uh, oh, he, wow. He the quit. One with trainer was freaky. Yeah, dude. I mean, I'm still and I know you're going to have to walk on eggshells here, Dave, because I'm going to throw something at you if you destroy anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> so stupid. Trainer, again, I don't know everything about the entity, and we're not supposed to yet. But they did show us a few things that was crucial to understanding the entity inside Trainer, not just Trainer, because we've kind of, you know, he's a bit of a mystery, this entity. Yes. And now we took some time out to understand him a bit. Trainer quit fighting the entity for a moment and listened to this life form inside of him. And he realized that he's also suffering and in deep pain. Yeah. And I've got to think this is why they're bonded. Again, I'm not quite sure what's in the comic book. I'm not up to that point yet. I am no reading. Spoilers. I am reading Grant Morrison's run, but we're not up to there yet. Uh, I'm not or I'm not up to that point yet, but I'm not quite sure how all this worked in the comic book. But from a television writing angle, this would make sense. There's got to be an emotional or traumatic connection between the two of those people. Yeah. Trainer the, and the entity. The thing that I, I pulled from this episode, just this episode, I'm not pulling out any spoilers. Okay. So the only thing that I pulled from this episode when I took a look at it was the the entity inside of Trainer is being tortured by Trainer himself because Trainer hates himself Do you think he tortures okay. himself okay. okay that's what i pulled that's kind of what this i episode. got so now i know certain things in in dc uh in the story that i'm like going i'm gonna keep to myself to see what they do with this. yeah that's kind of what i got that i was able to derive as well there's still a lot to learn because the entity didn't seem to care about the boy that was something that was clear as well because he just let the boy go like he opened the door and said all right see you later our job here is done i'm going to focus on getting this uh this dude to pay attention to me uh because he let him out and he seems to be more obsessed with getting trainer to understand him and maybe you're right and and maybe that's maybe the aspect that we derive from this episode is in fact true maybe the key to them working together and coexisting or perhaps their individualism and freedom from each other has to do with understanding each other and trainers acceptance of who he is. Well, that's why one of the biggest moments, it was a subtle moment, but it was a big moment for that character was when he turned to Kipling and told him, don't worry about the thing inside me. It likes to fight. And and it was kind of like all of a sudden the way he, he said it is he's starting to understand the yeah. entity inside of him. Yeah. And, and dude, this is all just I know we blow this show, but it's just so good. It's 
it's an allegory. That whole thing that we're seeing play yeah. out between trainer and this entity. It's this a beautiful inter- allegory. It's an allegory for what is happening with him internally. The fact that he hates himself and that in order for him to have true peace, he has to accept who he is. And that's why I totally dug what they were doing. And I'm hoping that's I'm hoping you're right, Dave, with what you said about, hey, he's in pain because trainer's hatred of himself. Yeah. And if you think about it, when you take a look back at the last episode where they were in the chamber and trainers screaming at the entity, but the entity, I started realizing that the entity is answering trainer back in his own voice. Yeah. And, and also he man didn't he manifest himself as his um his lover yeah right? yeah and so it was like it may it started dawning on me that basically the entity was trying to tell trainer that you're making me suffer because you're you're punishing yourself yeah it's <laughs> it's good man and um like i said this it's an introspective dave because there was also a moment where trainer also understood something i don't think he fully gets it yet but i he is starting to understand some things like when he said i when he told uh, i believe it was uh kipling he said uh the the being inside of me is just as what broken i think he said as the rest of us as the rest of us yes. yeah so he's starting to understand this guy and then of course we had that great moment uh with robot man and jane in this episode going off into nurheim <laughs> was a great way for the writers to delve into the aftermath of last episode and what it meant for them. Um, I loved how Hammerhead said that she exists for a reason that when she murders, it's essentially designed to protect. That is why she was created. Yes. She was created for this very thing to protect the, the core identity from the life that she can't control and handle which if you know anything about did that's exactly why yeah, these exactly. personalities are developed yes uh, and when she asked cliff what is your reason for killing you know that was powerful because it made him think about his actions but not just his actions in paraguay but everything he's done that was the yes. entire point his whole life the way he just you know was balls to the wall and didn't really think about anybody else or the consequences of his decisions and this is where the cult of the unwritten book comes in so geniusly with the whole bad guy monologue done right. We always talk about monologues and how like shut up with the bad guy monologue. Holy fuck. But this is where those bad guy monologues, monologues actually sense. work. The idea that reality doesn't matter but perception is a very powerful statement. How we view ourselves and how we view others. And through that monologue, we were, we learned that Cliff is you know, I don't, I don't think we didn't know this, but they reaffirm that he still suffers from the loss of his child, which explains the therapeutic effect that Jane has on him because he views her as as her, his daughter, as his daughter, or even possibly a second chance, a, a, a chance to do things right this time around. And that's why he's so protective of her. And I don't think there's a selfishness behind it. I do feel like he sincerely cares about her. But his connection to her is because he views her as a broken child, which is probably how he views his daughter growing up without parents. Without parents, yeah. And that's why, out of all the characters, at this point, while I love uh, Trainer's development and I'm getting to really dig Cyborg and Rita and Jane, Robot Man is the one that I'm really intrigued with because this could be the longest character arc in the whole series. Because it is a really difficult thing to 
tackle is like, what the heck is wrong with robot man? And we kind of touched on in the last episode is the fact that one of the things that he can't do is sense anything. And it, it started dawning on me that have you noticed that, his dialogue is always rich with screaming and yelling yeah. and Brendan Fraser is like uh, lost. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to sense or anything. Yeah. The only thing he can actually react to is what he sees. That's it. Yeah. And uh, Well, he's just a bro. He's just a bro thrown into the midst of like epicness. And I just love how he handles all that. Like it's it's a casual acceptance. Like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> every single time it's like, and then like he, he takes it out on the team, like Vic, like Justice League twenty twenty, <laughs> and I like just pats him out and walks away. I'm like going, <laughs> Clint could be, but honestly my favorite character by the end of the series, because it's like, he is like the bro thrown into the, the impossible yeah. event. Yeah, man. It's so good. I, I definitely, I definitely dig his character. He is, um, fuck dude. He, he's just so good. The characterization of cliff is so great. It's so good. And this is where the TV show is. In my opinion, you know, better than me. But I'm four issues now into Grant Morrison's run, and Cliff is great. He's an interesting character, but um, I feel like they're able to bring that personality a little farther. Yes, with TV. It comes through. Whereas Crazy Jane, I feel, is is uh, pretty spot on ver- You know, when you compare it side by side with the comic book and the TV show, they are essentially doing, yes, they're doing a lot of, they're taking creative liberties. Absolutely. But with cliff, I never felt like in the comic book, he was this, um, dynamic. Yes. Does that make sense? I I don't want to bash Grant Morrison's run because it's good, but like Jane was very dynamic in the comic book. When you look at the, when you, this is going to be one of the few times I thought about this after watching, uh, doom patrol up to this point. This is one of those special cases where a TV show rendition of a comic is, in my opinion, better than the comic. Is it better? Yeah. Is it? Okay. Because, like, to me, there's more, you get to see more dynamic, especially with Elastigirl and Robot Man. Yeah. I I agree with you. Like, the the portrayal of Robot Man in the TV show is so much more dynamic. Yeah. Because you do get this sense of... It's a big pain that Robot Man's going through. Yeah, and Morrison's run, he is very he's dealing with PTSD, he's dealing with everything, and you see it, but there's something about just seeing it still and like in a still art visual. Yeah. And seeing it it's a different actually medium, yeah. the medium in a visual moving medium. Yeah, and there are comic books that you read sometimes that are very, very, very well written. Um and you then get a screen adaptation of them. You're like, fuck, like that's not nearly as dynamic as what we saw on the page, the page. Whereas this is reversed. You had already an interesting character on page and they're making them even that much better on the screen. So even the adaptation process has been fantastic when it comes to these characters. Um, One of the sad things in this episode, when it comes to Jane and cliff is how Jane views cliff as a monster, essentially, as we saw in this <laughs> in this episode when they were talking about when the Nernheim individuals, the what are the queen, the queen of Nernheim um, was talking about perception. And we saw that Cliff is covered in blood. That's how Jane now views him, 
which is really sad for both of them. But for Cliff, it was meant to show him, in my opinion, this is my interpretation of it, and tell me if you agree or disagree, but I felt like it was a great way to show him how his daughter might, in fact, view him or how he fears his daughter views him. Yes. Not just physically because he looks different, like a monster, obviously, he's in that robot man suit, but because of his actions when she was a child. Kids don't forget those things. Those things stay with kids. And maybe as a child, you may not know what's going on. But when you're an adult and, and you grow up and you learn the ways of life, suddenly the context of your childhood comes together and you're able to piece together things that you may not have understood when you're a child. And now in, in retrospect, she may look back and think, man, he was a very neglect, neglectful father and he was always cheating on my mom. Yes. And so that's, that, that's the thing that I think is ultimately what Cliff is going to be dealing with. Because I noticed that the storyline with Cliff and his daughter is at this point, Cliff doesn't want to see his daughter. Well, why? He wants to see his, he wanted to see his daughter at first, but now he doesn't. And then it started on, it, when you see that perspective, that's kind of like a two way road where it's like, yeah, Cliff, pro, Cliff sees himself as a monster. Yeah, because like, look what he was a- capable of doing without a without a thought. Right, and again, what does that go right back into? The entire template for this episode, or the maybe the theme you can call it, which is the introspective aspects of this episode. He realized there was a sense of realization, just like with Elastigirl, just like with Trainer, and the way Jane saw herself as well this week was pretty sad as broken and shattered, which was poetically put on display with images of dozens of broken shards of glass shards of glass. Yeah. That was a beautiful pick. That was a beautiful like shot. Yeah. And all this works so well. The episode, this episode might in fact be one of my favorites so far. It was epic and it had just so much tons of heart and, and, and development of our heroes. So and I think that's what really makes Doom Patrol special is like going back to what you said about like the criticism that that person gave where it's too weird. I'm like going they're they're not looking at the story. The story has a lot of heart behind it besides the strangest. Yeah. Because like it's telling things that honestly should be talked about, you know, things like PTSD, DID, um self-hatred, depression. A lot of people want to want to stay away from that stuff. Doom Patrol is actually there to actually show that basically it's okay to talk about this stuff. You're right. Sometimes it's it's not sometimes it is. It's very uncomfortable for some people to see these things on TV. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why setting aside the goriness and the violence for a moment and and the obvious mature themes to not the themes uh, the mature language of this show setting aside those elements let's to remove them from the show a show like this i don't think would be able to flourish on regular tv because and, and again get rid of the absurdity of it as well but i don't think a show like this would be able to flourish on regular television because it's uncomfortable this is a show that's putting a magnifying glass over real mental issues that people struggle with these are real problems that many people in society struggle with. with. And, um, and sometimes people don't want to watch things like this, especially, especially when you look at what's typically 
liked by the mainstream. It's more superficial. There's less substance. Yeah. Like this is going to be a bit of a criticism on the mass audience on my part, but like the one comparison that just shows this, you take doom patrol, which is a fantastic show deals with all these issues. And then you look at Netflix's umbrella Academy, which, Hey, I had fun watching it. It was okay, but by none, it is not as deep and well done as Doom Patrol, because you in Umbrella Academy, you could have touched on stuff like this, but they decided to play the safe route and just make it quirky and make it fun. You talk about Legends of Tomorrow? Oh, no. Umbrella Academy. Oh, Umbrella Academy. Oh, yeah. 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 They made it. Yeah, I they, hate that show. Dude. It was. I don't it, even want to talk. <laughs> I know. I know. Wait, you did I already like shit it? on it? Did yeah, I shit already, on it on air? Yes, you did. Uh, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. Let's continue to shit on it. <laughs> but, you know, like. Hold on. Hold on. I'm squatting real fast. <laughs> But they Don't had the me. they had the chance to actually do something special with it, but they decided to just take like what the, you said the, the, safe, form, route. the safe route and the formulaic route. Yeah, and Dude, that show has nothing on this show. No, nothing. You're, but Absolutely you're nothing. but you're right, Dave. They ate it up. They people are blowing up. Umbrella Academy as the best new show. I'm like that show is so fucking superficial. It started off great. I'm like, holy shit, they can do this, they can do that. There's so many things they can do with this show, and they settle for the mundane and easy. Easy. Yeah, and and if you think about it, look at all the praise about. It. Oh, it's fun! It's funny! I don't give it's a fuck quirky. about fun. And it's like, <laughs> okay, Listen, Mark Shepard with a fire sword is sword. fucking fun. Hey, side by side with Cyborg <laughs> with a hand cannon. Yeah, that's fun. that's fun. You want fun? Here's some fun with substance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I I think is like the mass audience is missing out. Is like you can have fun, but give us some substance. Give yeah. us some substance to your show. Yeah. Exactly. I like my TV shows unlike I like my women. I like my women fun with no substance. I, <laughs> I like them like Elastigirl. Let's be honest. Elastigirl. Those are the type of women I always go for. And oh, that's dude. why I'm miserable, Dave. That's why I'm miserable. <laughs> I'll be honest, though. Rita is hot. Oh, she's like she it. is a fucking keeper, Dave. And sometimes I know you have a fat fetish, too. I mean, let's, you've already said this on air on one of our shows. <laughs> so, I mean, Dave, like at any time, you'd be like, all right, I need something new today. And then she just can turn into a, a blob. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. We need to go to a break. We'll be right back. In the meantime, I'll be in that bag of gunk shit's office. Saving the world. The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man Show. I'm sure Facebook memories have led, it's possibly led to many suicides at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you ever want to just feel unfulfilled with your life, just pay attention to those memories. They will always make you feel great. Yeah. Yeah. Remembering that nine years ago, you had a promising future. <laughs> And suddenly you realize you're, you win the sh- you live within the shadow of your former self in both achievements and looks. Where has it all gone wrong? Hey, Mike, 10 years ago, you were much better looking. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Facebook. I appreciate that. Something's got to be done about those memories, though. It's annoying. I wish you could turn it. I it it's not it annoying. It's depressing, Thomas. You're not listening. Well, mine are annoying. Yours are depressing. I can de- wait till you're 40. <laughs> wait till you're 35, 36, and you saw, uh, you know, a photo. Hey, nine years ago, Mike, you uh, were producing a film. Thank you, Facebook. I know that. <laughs> you would think they would also come out with an algorithm or come up with an algorithm and that also knows which are good memories and which are bad memories. 
they have to be more selective because they choose bad memories. I think it's almost on purpose. One of my friends from a film committed suicide about 12 years ago, and they reminded me as if it was a good memory. You remember Paul? Oh, Jesus I'm like, yes, I do remember Paul. <laughs> For more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. What are you looking at, nerd? Huh? I thought I was looking at my mother's old douchebag, but that's in Ohio. <laughs> Geek out Saturday. And then, like, ants eat your remains. Like, <laughs> those books got real dark. <laughs> for kids. Or, like, one of them, like, you could... This is, the this the is fact that Marvel's been doing it for ten years doesn't mean so, it's easy. Hold on, though. Take Marvel out of the equation and forget okay. that they don't even exist. Television has been doing this for decades. And I stumbled upon it while I was hunting alligators. And this guy starts whistling at you. He beckons you. So I thought it was a mission, like a side mission. So I went, and then I realized what it was when it was too late. I walked in, the guy starts And that's how they go out. Like, because the the rebirth, when they ditched the new 52, because the new 52, they weren't always on the best of terms. They're back together, or, you know, they end up getting back together because they feel something they don't know. They just feel like the universe is pulling them together. Catch up on your favorite Rain Man digital geek shows every Saturday. DC on CW, Back to Tank, Weird West Radio, The Crossroads, and more. Geek Out Saturday on Rain Man Channel 001. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. Okay, you know you fucked all the way up now. You're pissing me off even more than she did. Nernheim sucks. All right, welcome back, everybody, to uh, DC on RMD, the Doom Patrol edition. All right, so we're tackling episode four. If you're just now joining us because you're listening to us on our 24-7 stream, RM Channel 001, we welcome you. But we are discussing we're in the middle of discussing episode four titled Cult Patrol. And it's time to get it a little bit more into the cult aspect of this show. So let's start with Kipling. First, to get some background on the character, we must dig through the DC Comics vault. And we're going to go way, 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 way back to 1990. When he was first introduced, this character in Doom Patrol number 31. Kepling appears mostly in the Doom Patrol comic series, according to this wiki page on this character. The character was originally intended to be Vertigo Comics, Vertigo Comics, John Constantine. Yes. And that's why we have so many similarities. I mean, dude, it's 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 almost almost the exact same character. And that. And I'm kind of torn, Dave, because I was hoping we 
we got John Constantine later somehow in the DC universe TV shows. I was hoping that with the, with the introduction of Swamp Thing in a few months that Constantine would be introduced in that. But with the introduction of Kipling, I don't think we need him. And this is why I'm torn because give me more Mark Shepard as Kipling. I'm good to go. But then I'm like, but fuck, we don't need Constantine then because we have him. Well, the beautiful thing about the difference between Constantine and Kipling. Yes. uh, The problem with the the reason, the ultimate reason why Kipling was made was because DC editorial would not allow Grant Morrison to use Constantine. Yes. Because the fear was Constantine to them was a more realistic character. He dealt with realistic problems. Yes. He was a demon slayer and and fought with magic he was very different than in the 80s and 90s yes opposed to the constantine we have now that's a lot more larger than life larger than life yeah he was very realistic he was almost kind of like a reporter in a a lot of ways back when vertigo first started so they didn't want to ruin that so grant morrison said okay fine i'm gonna make my own version of constantine and then warp him like and when you look at it yeah, the difference between Constantine and Kipling, Kipling embraces the strangeness. He basically just says, yeah, it's normal. Oh, a blue horse head. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> I'm going to use my magic. You know, my magic is based on my own belief system where I can use the lyrics of a Beatles song right, and stuff. Right. Constantine can't do that. Constantine has to literally use incantations that he studies and they use different to get really nerdy. They use different type of magic. They stated yes. that Kipling uses something called chaos magic, chaos which is, magic. which is a big part of, of DC canon. But, uh, Constantine uses demon blood, demon blood. That's yes. the source of his magic. He uses demon blood, which in a lot of ways is way more dangerous than chaos magic. Cause you're fucking with hell. Yeah. And, and, and losing pieces of your soul. And, some people listening to us may say, well, Constantine talks to the blue horse heads. I, they're the same. But you got to remember, back in the 80s and 90s, Constantine was a very different character. He was I wouldn't a different say, character. I wouldn't say he's gra- he was grounded. He was, you know, he was dealing with magic and the occult and all that stuff. But the, the Constantine that a lot of people today are used to is the new 52 Constantine. Yeah. The justice league dark constantine which is a very different constantine is he just as fucking cool as and hip absolutely but he's more aligned to fit into the world of superheroes now so that's the difference so going back into the the 80s and 90s this version of constantine essentially now as kempling works for what they were trying to do yes and it was funny because i actually uh was reading a a blog about doom patrol about the possibilities. How cool would it be to actually see Kipling and Constantine in a show with DC? Yes, please. Yes, and please. then you do Justice League Dark. You could throw in all the magic. David, are Zatana. you trying to make me bust a nut right now? <laughs> Say Rita Far, and it might happen. <laughs> but imagine that. That would actually be really cool. And it would actually show the difference between Constantine and Kipling. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I like Kipling more than Constantine. Oh, simmer down. I, I really don't know. Honestly, because like I said, I'm torn about the entire thing. I like the idea of basically his magic is based on chaos. That's basically just based on his own belief system. I don't want to read a book to actually use a spell. I think I'll just do this spell by spouting uh, Star Wars lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. And he's a big part of the Doom Patrol Grant Morrison run, right? 
Yes. Yeah, because it says on on a few sources that he appeared intermittently, intermittently um, helping the team against various threats, such as the cult of the unwritten book. Yep. As well as the candle maker. He is a member of the Mystic Knights Templar. And I give a lot of props to Morrison because Morrison really, in an interview, I remember reading about uh, reading about Grant Morrison really loved the character of Constantine, and he was really disappointed that DC editorial wouldn't allow him to use him. Yeah. So he was like, "Well, I I got to create a character like him." But after he created Kipling, he wa- he basically said he wanted to create a character that was an homage to Constantine, but yeah. was also his own idea. Yeah. Yeah. And and. It works so far. Um, we don't know much about him. You know, Mark Shepard was perfect for this role because he has this uh, this casual laziness that is just perfect <laughs> yeah. for Kipling as a character. There's a bit of ambiguity as well behind his intentions that works for this show. That's also a lot like Constantine. There's a lot of ambiguity behind Constantine's agenda. Um, he would appear to be just as broken as the rest of them, although he is able to hide behind this exterior of presumed callousness and the use of magic, which worked for his character. Yes. And if they are going to keep using him this season, then they are going to have to align him with our heroes and show that he is a part of it. And the pieces or the ingredients are definitely there if you know what to look for. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they flesh him out further as we move into episode five. And and I'm sure we're going to learn more about him later i mean as if they plan to use him then they're they're definitely going to work and i this, really and, do hope so yeah in this episode he was a bit of a plot device to kick open a few more doors of potential story but now that that's done i feel like they can flesh him out if he's going to be a part of the team even if it's just two or three episodes a season um so i'm looking forward to that but let's talk about the cult of the unwritten book uh, according to DC canon, they're essentially a type of doomsday cult wanting to bring about the end of the world by means of this entity they worship known as the D creator. creator yep. Now, for the purposes of no spoiling things for people, we're yep. not going to get into the D, the D creator as of yet. We're going to wait till we learn more because yep. I started reading stuff and I, I quickly shut down my browser. because <laughs> I was like, shit, I don't want to know anything. So let's just tackle what we know so far and we will break it down so that it's more clear to the audience, okay? So the Cult of the Unwritten Book is a fictional cult supervillain group created by DC Comics, which first appeared in Doom Patrol Volume 2, number 31, April 1989. The cult itself is centered in Nurnheim, a German town destroyed years ago, although the cult is over 2,000 years old. Uh, There was never given a reason for the cult's wish to destroy the world, although most believe that they saw physical manifestations was corrupted and their goal was to summon forth a being called the D creator as a means to destroy everything. But to do so, they had to wait for the book of the fifth window to be born. The book is a special child, which we saw this week born with his skin, almost completely tattooed in an unknown in an unknown language. The cult planned to decipher the tattooing on the child's skin to reveal the name of the D creator and summon it to the world. To find the child in the real world, the cult enters our world through a cut that magically appears on a person, which we also saw this week. Uh, the cut will continue to grow on the person until they are all cut. Yes. Nurnheim is always shifting from one place to another. Destroyed long ago, Nurnheim appears anywhere in a picture, an illustration, even inside a snow globe, globe. <laughs> but it can cool. disappear 
to somewhere else if discovered. I mean, this is some really deep mythos to throw into an episode, and yet it was handled very well. These things don't always work out as planned, Dave, and that's such that goes right back to the juggling, the juggling of this episode and how much work an episode like this takes. Because look at all the development development we had in our heroes, but then we look at the amount of heavy heavy mythology also thrown into this episode oh yeah that's why i really i I really like doom patrol the way that carver's been using the mythos Mm -hmm. of the dc and weaving it into the show i think has been brilliant i mean we spoke about it yesterday with animal vegetable mineral man (laughs) and that was fantastic that was a cool that type of love to like um, uh, a franchise's mythos is really, in my opinion, needed. I'm wondering if Carver was a fan of Doom Patrol, Dave. Maybe. I, I need to get him on an interview. I need to get him. I need to get him ASAP because this guy is handling this show so fucking well that it feels like the writers in this room were fans of Doom Patrol. Like, because we we get things like. Uh, we get other things like Arrow and and uh, the Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and eh, no Legends of Tomorrow don't Matt don't count they're they're, they're kind of made <laughs> they're, they're kind of in their own and galaxy. also they're they're kind of made up but you look at shows like Supergirl and Arrow and and the Flash and they say they're using certain story arcs as sources of inspiration right um we had allegedly Flashpoint then we had um the Red Sun story for Supergirl yes and they never an arrow let's just be honest never really uses real arrow elements they use batman elements yeah it's, which it's fine it works but there isn't the attention to detail to the source material they are willing to be like yeah let's just do this we'll just use it as a platform and then we're going to go off in any direction we want Whereas there is a very careful attention being paid to the source material and not and not because that's what I want. Honestly, Dave, as long as they respect the source material and not choose to change things just because they want to for no reason, because they didn't really read the entire issues. They're just using the first issue as a platform, which is what it feels like sometimes with these other superhero shows that we get. This one feels like they read it. They understood it. They understood exactly what Grant Morrison was saying, and now this is their version. This is them adapting it. And, of course, there's going to be some liberties because there needs to be. Uh, we also don't want a carbon copy. Otherwise, there's no mystery behind the show. Yeah, there's no reason to – there's no – No reason to watch if you read no the comic. No reason to watch. So they are taking liberties, and that's what you're supposed to do. The adaptation from paper to screen doesn't need to be verbatim. It just needs to have the heart of that source material, and that's what they're doing with this show. Dave, let's move into final thoughts. We're at that moment. Final thoughts for Doom Patrol. This episode was A plus again. I mean, like, I I really feel that basically there should be more subscribers to the DC Universe uh, app at at this point because, like, you have two solid shows that came out. There's a lot of great other shows that are coming. There's Swamp Thing. You know, we're not quite sure about Harley Quinn yet. (laughs) <laughs> but we'll see all oh, the cartoon they have planned the cartoon that they have planned yeah. we'll see but honestly this just with this episode it was a fun look at doom patrol history which i'm really happy with they they did the uh, 
uh, Cult of the Unwritten Book. Did you really? Did you think as a Doom Patrol fan, Dave? I thought they'd you, never go to Nerdheim. Okay. okay, I was wondering if you even <laughs> thought they would even do this. Because yet. the concept of it is just so out there. Because like so many people, I can see a lot of mainstream DC fans going, "Why the hell is this around? Why aren't the Justice League doing anything?" You guys got to understand that there's things out in the DC universe that Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman don't want to fuck with. <laughs> or they're just not equipped to deal with it. They're not equipped to deal with it. Yeah. I'm sorry. If Superman were to actually come into this area where Vertigo was, he would be torn to pieces because there's no way he could actually phantom what the hell is going on he'd be so confused well if magic is involved also that's one of the issues that's, that, one, of the that's issues. one of his that's one of his <laughs> um his uh weaknesses you know he doesn't yeah. know how to deal with magic he's just a he's just a bro in a suit with superpower yeah and, and the beautiful thing too is kind of like the the story of cyborg that they're telling right here that is showing what uh, a dc hero would actually react to in this situation like Victor is completely lost at this point. He's trying to actually look at this as a justice league member, which is failing miserably, which is interesting to me because I want to see what happens to cyborg and all of this. Cause he's trying to bring some sort of order to it. That's why he doesn't believe in the magic. That's why the, the whole cross between him and Kipling this time, this episode was one of my probably favorite moments in the, in the episode, because it showed that, Here's this DC hero trying to actually understand what is underneath the shadows of the DC universe, and it's blowing his mind, and he can't cope with it because it doesn't work. So overall, this episode gets A's all around for me. I think that people should see it. If you're not, you're missing out. Yeah. Fantastic episode. Loved everything they're doing. Loved everything they did in this episode, everything they're doing. We're four episodes in, and I mean, look how much story we have already delved into in four episodes, Dave. We're not even at the halfway point yet, and it feels like, in a good way, that we've learned so much about our characters. And now that we're, we've learned what we need to know, I feel like crossing into episode five, it's going to be balls to the wall. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to it. That concludes this week's discussion on, or this episode's discussion on DC Universe's Doom Patrol. Uh, You can always get more discussions each and every single month by subscribing to our Patreon page. If you go to patreon.com slash Digital, you can pledge to our podcast here where we do additional DC on RMD Presents discussions, ranging from Superman, Batman, uh, you name it, we'll do it. If you have some thoughts and ideas for us that you would like us to cover, please tweet us at DC on RMD. Let us know. We can cover them on our Patreon shows as well. Thank you, David. Thank you. And good night. Now comes their reckoning. They lashed their whips at you, dear Lord. And now they will be lashed with eternal flame. I have been faithful unto death. Seated by your most holy side. Yes!